0: This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk databases, cloud, and how to position them with the database maestro, Jeff Steiner. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Glenn, Glenn, Sizemore, and Sully the Monster.
1: I love NetApp.
0: Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. In the studio with me today. Stop texting. Huh? Pay attention. Uh, did you already hit record? I did. Wait. wait. Yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, yeah, Glenn Sizemore. Hi. Hi. The the uh, distractable Glenn Sizemore.
2: I, I was trying to find our third, but it's okay. I guess we'll just go. That's fine. You can you can.
0: Our third may or may not be in the in the office today. He's traveling because he's more important than anyone here. So This is all true. Yes. Also more intelligent, better looking. Don't tell him I said that. Anyway. Uh, so on the phone with us today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Jeff Steiner. He is the uh, d- database guru here at NetApp. So say hello, Jeff. Hello. How's it going?
1: Oh, going all right.
0: You're located out in EMEA, aren't you?
1: Yes. I am uh, based in Munich um, due to a series of weird events that would probably take longer to explain than this phone call has.
0: How long have you been out in Munich?
1: Uh, It's been about four years. Um, The the final step in the roads to Munich was um, I got involved with a project with a lot of databases, and I just kept on answering question after question question, and flew out to Frankfurt a number of times and finally they said, hey, why don't you um, just move here full time? (laughs) And that sounded like a really good idea to me. It's cheaper to move you out here.
0: Yeah, it's cheaper to move you out here, uh, and we have pretzels. There are much worse yep. places to live. There are. There are. Um, so, yeah. All right, excellent. So are you, are you picking up any of the German language?
1: Well, I'm doing my best, but um, the problem is um, most of the time I end up talking to people in either RTP, California, or Bangalore, um, uh, and there's not a whole lot of German being spoken in any of those places. Interesting. So I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. Just not as good as I'd hoped.
0: Short commute for you for insight, that's for sure. Well, at least... To yeah. yeah, it depends on but which one you're talking about. Yeah, a little bit harder to get yeah. to Vegas. Uh, so, Jeffrey, if you could tell... ever Or Jeff, sorry, I didn't mean to call you Jeffrey. I'm sure that rankles you <laughs> to no end.
1: Interchangeable. Okay, totally cool. Totally interchangeable.
0: Some people are very particular about this. Um, yeah. Uh, for example, Glenn doesn't like to be
2: called Glennis. Yes, okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> yes, that, that's an accurate example.
0: Anyway, uh, so, Jeff, tell us a little bit about what you do here at NetApp and how we can get in contact with you on social media.
1: So I am uh, the general database guy here, um, specifically a principal architect for, I believe it's called Enterprise Solutions at the moment. Um, what that means is I, I'm in engineering, I'm not sales or marketing, and I work across a lot of different engineering groups and some field groups, just trying to keep track of what's going on with the market for those those critical enterprise applications that power the enterprise. And now I'll take my marketing hat off. Um, But what it means is like um, the projects range. Sometimes it's large scale solutions where we're trying to bring something new to market. Sometimes it's just the little things like someone's thinking of an improvement to the way compression works. And I'll consult with them and talk about database patterns, things like that. social media links. Um, I'm not real active, but I've got a few things out there. I started with um, Tweet of Steiner. You can guess that that would be on Twitter, not Facebook. And then I finally got worn down, and uh, about three months back, I started a blog um, just talking about the things that I work on, and that would be words.ofsteiner.com. I'm sorry about that name i was pressed for time i couldn't think of anything better. that's fine i can think of worse
0: i can think of worse names like why is the internet broken or something whatever
1: well i was thinking i could also elaborate because i own the whole of domain so sometime i might just put like toaster.ofsteiner.com and just have a picture of a toaster
0: you are your own brand really
1: yep that's awesome man i didn't know you uh... older daughter of steiner son of steiner (laughs) there you go
0: yeah, yeah. So uh Glenn wasn't aware you had a blog. I I'd seen something you'd posted recently like in the last few months. That was pretty good. So but, but yeah, it's good to see that we have people out there getting their their information on
2: uh More importantly, print. Uh, d- listeners, this is the guy, right? Uh, internally when 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 the when the fire is on the hottest and and there's nowhere left to go, Jeff's the guy they call, so if he's got a blog somewhere where he's just blogging, hey, here's what I think about this, you should be paying attention. Absolutely, and he also is very instrumental within the, the internal deals as well
0: as the external deals we yeah. have, such as the Toasters DL. He's very active on those. So when he says he's not active on Twitter, he's really just because he's spending too much time answering emails.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he's I, doing it old school. According news to group a mail
1: administrator uh, at my, my previous employer, uh, Oracle according to this one mail administrator i was the second most prolific emailer so i i averaged something on the order of 25,000 emails per year wow seriously how did, i'm not sh- sure how i want to see metrics really on that fast.
0: i actually want to see metrics on emails i don't i'd, I'd see that t- no <laughs> you, yeah. i think skip shapiro would be up there <laughs> that's what i was thinking just now <laughs> when he was saying that i was yeah. like i wonder who's i wonder who wins jeff or skip i know that'd be an oh. interesting battle there
2: so let's, let's, let's turn our tail a little bit um, from, from uh, talking about uh, where they can find you and, and pumping up why they should pay attention. Uh, let's let's, let's kind of dig in a little bit. We talked about your role as a principal architect and kind of pulling uh, all the various different engineering orgs and, and helping kind of sit in between you know, the field and customers and engineering and everyone and just try to funnel this information and, and make people aware of, of, of what's going on next to them. Uh, could we start with just kind of like a state of things? Uh, how are how are databases in 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 NetApp land?
1: Well, I think with all things, it's in the IT industry right now. It's in very much a state of flux, and I, I mean I could give you a thousand different large and small examples. Um, I mean the first thing that comes to mind is efficiency. So everybody knows efficiency is a big hot topic in the storage industry right now. Right now, who's got better efficiency than somebody else? While that's been happening and people are getting more obsessed about it, database customers have becoming, are becoming a lot more obsessed with security, and an awful lot of them are just implementing security, uh, sorry, encryption across the board, 100%. And encryption basically ruins database. Yeah, efficiency. I was about to say that kind of yeah, screws
0: up the whole like so, you know deduplication fees. Yeah.
1: So what do you do? You've got these two things moving against each other right now, where everyone wants the efficiency, and they're also making changes that block any chance of actually enjoying those the benefits of that efficiency. What can you do there? Um, I think or, well, Oracle, I'm sure Oracle is dealing with a lot of the same issues as we are, where we lack visibility into where the market is going that we used to have, like if we go back 10 years at least in my, my area, in the database area, we have a pretty good idea what the next three, four years would bring us. And I'm just not seeing that now. I don't know what we'll be seeing in 12 to 18 months' time. Yeah. And you can see that Oracle is dealing with the same things. Like they've got a hardware division where they can put stuff on premises, but they also see that everyone's moving to the cloud. So what do you do? You can't just stop making hardware, you can't focus at 100% on the cloud. Where do you strike that balance?
2: How much have you seen uh, the cloud conversation actually uh, impact those, those tier one business critical databases? Because in, in the conversations that we have, we, we basically advise that that's the last thing customers get to. So, so I would imagine, like, if, mm-hmm. if, if we're seeing a big impact there, that means that our customer base has made it through this problem.
1: Well, I think it kind of depends what you mean by cloud. Um, Customers just sort of up and moving the infrastructures that they own as they are now into the cloud isn't going to work very well for databases because the data sets and the I.O. requirements just exceed what you can reasonably do in cloud. I did a big session at Insight last year where I... I fell all over myself trying to talk about how great I think Amazon AWS is. They should have paid me to do that session. Um, But it isn't for everything. You can't do everything that you've ever wanted to do. And I barely answer the phone for anything less than 50 terabytes these days. And just try it. Try putting a 50-terabyte database that needs 200,000 IOPS in AWS. Try that in Azure. You can't do it i mean i guess you could but what you would have to spend to make that kind of performance real is just not going to make it worth it and in my opinion that's also where NPS happens to be coming in and playing a very nice role that's a net private storage where that overcomes a lot of these problems and i'm really not trying to make this a marketing pitch here it's just do the numbers we, I know what you can, what you'd have to spend to get 200,000 IOPS and 100 terabytes on NPS, and now you can have your high-speed storage, yet still enjoy all the cloud compute capabilities of whatever cloud provider you want. And I know what it would cost to do the same thing in AWS. So make up your own mind. <laughs> it costs less. It works better. And someday that will change. And honestly, I look forward to that. That when. I, I could actually foresee a day where we're not even needing to make hardware anymore, because the storage capabilities and the compute capabilities in the clouds will be so fast that we can get on tap in the cloud, serving any workload that you want it to that you want to throw at it. But we're not there yet. It's not going to work to move these workloads into the cloud. So why try?
2: So where, have, where has it been successful? You know, I know, I know the, the, the story that we tell is of the full application development life cycle from, from idea all the way through payments and, and how that, that development life cycle works its way through an infrastructure. Um, a, at least in, in, in that context, we, we typically think more of, of test dev and, and, and uh, those types of scenarios. Are, are we finding actual uptake uh, with customers there?
1: Yes, but most of what I've seen so far has been with SQL Server. Uh, Microsoft SQL Server databases tend to be quite a bit smaller than these critical Oracle databases, and they fit nicely within various cloud platforms. You don't usually run into a 10-terabyte SQL database. Not that they don't exist, but you don't usually run into that. And that's a great time where you can clone away, use it for disaster recovery. There's lots of options there. On the Oracle side, there are certainly some Oracle databases that are on the smaller side that will fit. Um, I know one customer that reported a lot of success with Oracle in AWS by leveraging Oracle's in-memory feature. So those customers will be paying a little more for RAM inside of their AWS instances, but that overcomes the the relatively limited storage capabilities within AWS. Mm. So that was an interesting use case. But when the success of cloud, I think you gotta, you have to look at it from a different perspective. What cloud really ought to mean to customers is paying for things as a service. And to say that you're going to go to cloud, where you're just going to transplant your entire environment into the cloud and sort of operate it as is, that's not really what cloud is intended to be. If you're going to move your databases into the cloud, what you should really be trying to do is move the database into the cloud where you no longer know nor care where it is. You just have a SQL connection to your database and there's certain SLAs and your service provider will, will live up to their commitments. Um, Same thing with your applications. You shouldn't have to go and install some application on a Red Hat Linux server inside of AWS. You should just have the whole application disappear. And this is what I think is, um, well, I guess, honestly the threat of something like Oracle Cloud because it is a viable option for some customers. and, And this has been true for years since it was called Oracle On Demand. It's a viable option for a customer to decide, you know what? I'm not going to buy anything from anybody. I'm just going to go and sign up for a database and an application server in the Oracle Cloud. And I know Oracle would like to make that real.
0: Can you tell us why Oracle Cloud maybe isn't working out for some people the way it should, You know, given that we could do a native application with it?
1: I think some of it is um, a little schizophrenia on the part of Oracle because they make a huge amount of money from the on-site licenses, and obviously they still have a hardware division. They can't just shut everything down and shunt everybody over to the cloud. And the other problem is their cloud is just not what Amazon's cloud is. It, It doesn't scale to that level. It doesn't have that level of flexibility, nor should it. They're not trying to be the commodity of the cloud. They're trying to build a cloud that runs application servers and databases and a few select services around that. There's a lot of competition with that. You know, not everyone wants to put everything in the hands of Oracle. They're packaging up services and selling the service where you, don't, you have more choices than just Oracle to go get yourself an application server and a database server in the cloud. You can go to a lot of different customers, sorry, different service providers, and they can offer you more of a, a high touch, hands-on approach. And those are the customers that I'm I think that we should be going after more strongly because we can provide those services. If you let's say that you want to be a a database as a service provider. You're going to have to find a way to do backups and restores and replication. And a lot of your customers are going to want to do things like refresh and development clones. We can enable all those things to wrap it up as a service that the service providers can then resell to their own and uh, internal their own customers. And there's also a lot of large enterprises that can do the same thing where they can make that transition not to just buy something from a cloud provider, but to actually thinking and acting like an actual Cloud-enabled
2: enterprise. Yeah, that that that, that aligns up with uh, what I've seen uh, in the service provider market for sure. You know, that it's funny from the outside looking in. You know, w- we evaluate almost everything based on raw cost alone, and and cost is super important. You always have to t- keep it in the back of your mind. But but uh, you, you you nailed it, man. It's 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 the value adds. It's it's the exceptions above what's available in in those more generic vendor providers. That, that differentiate service providers. And, and those differentiations exist because customer needs, customers need them. You know, it's, it's not a matter of, oh, I think this is nice. It's a matter of, no, you don't have this feature, so I can't use your service. I'm going to stick with this local guy who, who built a custom service for me.
1: And I, I think something that illustrates this uh, in, a, in an interesting way is the SolidFire acquisition because that, that is not a product for the customer who is all about cost and nothing but cost. Yeah. And until we actually, until that acquisition closed, I never really thought about how silly some of these, uh, these conversations we get into will be, where you're talking to a customer and they might move, I don't know, a hundred billion dollars a year worth of widgets from point A to point B. And we're actually arguing over $15,000 worth of professional services why the storage system that powers these databases that runs the enterprise is usually barely a rounding error on the overall budget. Why is everybody so obsessed with reducing the costs rather than trying to figure out, hmm, maybe there's something useful we can do here? If nothing else, maybe it's just an insurance policy where if somebody nukes the database, wouldn't it be nice to have your business back online in five minutes? I hope that I tell this to customers a lot. Um, Snap Restore and FlexClone and a lot of these technologies that we do are something that I hope you never have to actually use because the only time you need them is something bad happened. But wouldn't it be nice to know that it's there if you actually rely on it? And then along comes SolidFire. And I have to admit, I've struggled to figure out how do I know when a customer would be interested in SolidFire? And it, the best I can say is it's the ones that aren't cost-obsessed. They're thinking about processes and making the business run better and smoother and bringing more products to market quicker, time to value. Those are the ones that are sort of signaling, hey, tell me about solid fire. The ones that are obsessed about every little dollar of their budget, that's not, they're not ready for the solid fire value yet.
0: So solid fire is more a big picture as opposed to forest for the trees, right?
1: Yes. Um, I know a friend of mine is um, the, uh, the lead storage architect at a major USA retailer, and and he had a good way of explaining it there. Well, we, act, we kind of ruined the dual, dual vendor, vendor strategy. Um, they used to be dual vendor NetApp and SolidFire, and then we went and became one company. And for them, SolidFire is their cloud platform. They've done a very good job implementing OpenStack, and any developer or tester, trainer, if they want a service on the cloud, they end up on solid fire storage. If you want the absolute best performance, then you end up on what they call the Cadillac, which is their AFF tap cluster.
2: Yeah, uh, another way, uh, l- let me throw this by you, uh, Jeff, and, and, and see uh, how this sits with you. Another way that I've been trying to state that, because I'm working through the same problem, uh, right, is is I-, I look at solid fire as, because as, as more of a growth vehicle because you're right like total cost like when you're when you're all said and done and you're doing dollars per gigabyte which is stupid math but yet we do it anyways um, yeah you know y- you can't beat fast on tap is the king it does what it does better than than anything out there uh, but 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 the stack increment of going from one a700s a to two a700 ss compared to going from four SF nodes to five SF nodes, you know that that granularity and scalability can can make a huge difference from a business model perspective with with new ventures.
1: And I think Solid, fi- solid Fire looks a whole lot better than any of these hyperconverged um, providers for databases. I want to emphasize that for one very simple reason: um, with databases, compute and storage do not scale linearly—not even close. Yeah. Plus, you'd probably go bankrupt on the Oracle licenses from attempting to. License Oracle in a hyper-converged environment. When I have a new customer come to me, I don't know whether they want 10 terabytes or 900 terabytes. Some of them want 10,000 IOPS. Some of them want 6 million IOPS. You can't do that in a hyper-converged environment without bankrupting yourself. But the principles still apply. The principles of hyper-converged are still there. So if someone's been talking about those, and now they are looking for a database solution, that is a sign that it's time to start talking about solid fire they've already signaled that they're they're looking at the results more than the inputs and scaling your storage cluster with solid fire and scaling your virtualization cluster with esx whatever you want that it's not you're scaling two different stacks it's not as simple as scaling one but it costs a lot less and it scales better
2: so we won't get into details for obvious reasons, but how excited are you for, uh, for our future offering in that space?
1: I will be very interested to see what what we do. And I, <laughs> this is sort of a side effect of the blog and the tweets. Um, sometimes I deliberately avoid learning about certain things because mm. I don't want it to restrict my ability to speculate either online or in front of customers. So obviously, if it's relevant to my job, I will go learn about it, but um, I, don't know, I don't know what's coming, but the fact that it's, it's based on SolidFire, that in some way, that makes me hopeful that this is going to be something that can start to address those, um, those database use cases in, if not hyper-converged, at least the spirit of hyper-converged. And I look forward to learning about what that product really is.
0: Hopefully, by the time it comes out, it's not the ghost of hyperconverged. I would hate to see that. Like, we just put out a hyperconverged thing, and then hyperconverged is passed passed us
1: on. Well, I I don't really... Why can't you... Why could somebody make... Who says that hyperconverged absolutely has to be building blocks of the exact same size? The point is that you've got one big blob of almost like a virtual data center unto itself, and... Why can't you just have the ability to add storage nodes, I suppose, and compute nodes independently into something, and still call it hyperconverged? Why isn't that hyperconverged? Who?
2: Oh, it totally is. Yeah. Who t- set t- these rules? <laughs> well, and, and that's the thing, right? That that's the problem with all these spaces. You know, it, it, the, the rant that I like to go on is, you know, words mean things, and if we don't agree what words mean, then this entire conversation is pointless. You know, we have to have a baseline of, of what it is that we're discussing. And in the hyperconverged market, the, the big it, it's it's been a lot like the political situation around here. It's a lot of people talking past each other. They're talking about different things using the same words and, and both sides think that that they're right. You know, at the end of the day, I think you, you summarized it best. Customers who are who are concerned with outcomes, they tend to they tend to lean towards things like hyperconverged because they they're buying an outcome. They don't care how you get there. They're not interested in having the, the detailed conversation about how it gets there. As long as it gets there, that's the thing that they're interested in. So really leaning in and giving them a platform that can do that, that potentially isn't as limited as the current HCI market, which is why I'm not worried about your concern, Justin. The HCI market could go poof. What we're building is something different and and it may they may decide to come up with a completely different category when it's all said and done. Who knows? I just wanted to say the ghost of HCI. <laughs> That's
1: all I want. Well, we've seen a lot of these things before where, um, okay, take OpenStack. There was a point where, uh, I don't know how much this straight outside of the core enterprise application environment, but there was a point where it looked like OpenStack was it. OpenStack was the future. And I saw the RFPs coming in where... One of the line items must would be like, storage system must be compatible with OpenStack or similar. And you know, somebody, someone in the IT department just had heard about OpenStack, heard it was good, and then they put that on there. And they didn't, never really wanted it at all. They just wanted yeah. the outcome of having this great framework to virtualize everything and automate everything. And then came hyperconverged, where all of a sudden everyone wants hyperconverged. Why do you want hyperconverged? I don't know, but I want it
2: yeah, I think today that thing is Docker.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, no question about that.
2: It's 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 another one of those great technology. Uh, t- it solves a really awesome problem. Uh, the vast majority of the people throwing it on RFP don't actually know what it is.
1: <laughs> or how about my my personal number one gripe? Anyone that has read the emails. Uh, my, my emails of some of the larger distribution lists know this. NVMe. Well, we I, talked about that. It drives me up the wall every time somebody mentions NVMe because I, I get all tense and I keep thinking, please say something that has something related to do with to NVMe. Everyone keeps talking about NVMe as if that is if it's a media. It is not. It's an interface, and. Just to prove the point, one of these days, I am going to build an NVMe-attached tape drive. That would work. When somebody's talking about NVMe, it's almost like they're mentally thinking of the next generation of Flash, which will in turn require NVMe. But just slapping some device in something that happens to include NVMe is not doing anything at all. And I see the RFPs where, well, you want NVMe. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. As long as there's something NVMe inside of it that works. Is that all that someone's looking for?
2: I wouldn't worry about that, Jeffrey, because that, 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 that is the FUD side of this industry. You know, somebody out there c- crams exactly. something that they're going to call NVMe in their product and convince their customer that, it's the, the, that they need to have it. So now it's on the RFP, and this is the bad part of this industry. It, it's, it's, it's having well, to go out and there and fight your this, competition though? over basic facts.
1: What the heck is the point of having an NVMe-attached flash drive? I mean, yes, it will make things a little bit more um, – it will perform a little bit better, I'm sure. There's no but point. But ultimately, you're you're now address, addressing a media type that is way slower than the interface. Yeah. We will need NVMe when the successor to Flash arrives, and I really look forward to seeing NVMe fabrics. That will be extremely cool. But. It seems like right now, everyone, everyone thinks that NVMe is a media type, like we're not gonna use flash drives, we're using NVMe drives. No, you are switching from SAS-attached flash drives to NVMe-attached flash drives. It's still flash, and odds are you're going to slam into the controller limits of whatever your storage solution is long before that interface matters. Now, give it two years, totally different story. But for now, that word is being abused badly. And this, I have even seen this leaking into the database space where there's some device. I think the flash drives inside of Oracle Exadata systems are NVMe attached now. And there was, a little, there was a time when they were promoting that as if that means something. Like, oh, it's now going to be a million times faster. But, no, it's still just a flash drive. So, Jeffrey, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> that
2: that that term. No, you, you know what, man. I, I I think you're you're completely justified. We uh we we had to bring in the, what was it like nine people, last month, and and we had a giant panel on NVMe because the the amount of confusion that we're seeing in our customer base right now. With with just a combination of, of competing vendor strategies, you know, a couple of vendors trying to say that the sky is blue, and a couple of vendors saying no, it's really purple, you know, it, it, purple's more important, right? And it's it's just FUD. It's it's just information we got to work through. But but you're right. At the end of the day, I, I thought Andy Grimes di- d- summarized it best, right? Like, is there a difference? Yes, there is. Today we put 12... Uh, 12 SAS disks behind a storage controller, and we absolutely saturate the controller. We can't get anything else before it. We can put NVMe drives in there, and now we can do the same thing with six. But but at the end of the day, you're getting the same amount. And, and what we're building is already more than the vast majority of customers can even begin to, to consume. You know, we're already building systems that, that are well... In 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 advance of of what our customers require, we just we just don't need the the iteration. It's it's almost akin to the IPv4 IPv6 transition. I wouldn't well, even call it purple. Th- I'd call it hybrid blue.
1: <laughs> if it weren't for certain vendors trying to lay claim to the, the the term NVMe, we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Somehow this became fashionable, and we were forced to start educating customers about what it actually means. Purely as a marketing exercise to certain other vendors. And it would be nice if we could focus on providing something useful, but I understand it marketing, marketing is part of it. If you think about it, it's kind of bizarre that the storage industry, it seems like this should be the most fact-based product that you could possibly make. It's about bytes and latency and bandwidth, but somehow it's like fashion. I don't know how that happened.
2: It's hybrid red. Lots of money, man. That's how. Yeah. <laughs> Insane
0: <laughs> amounts of money.
2: Yeah. It's, it's the persistence tier. I mean, in, in, in the modern world, I, it's, it's funny how we got here. But, but when you take a look at cloud architectures and, you know, 12-factor apps and every, you know, the further we get along th- this, this, this iterative uh, experience known as computer science, the thing that stores the data forever becomes more and more important because there's only one of them now. You know, it's it's the, it's the data storage tier, and, and whether it's uh, a SCSI protocol or object store, whatever it is, that when you're in that tier, it's a high-stakes game, right?
1: Yeah, but why should – why are so many decisions ultimately coming down to who has the best PowerPoint presentation and who gives the better spoken presentation to a particular customer? This shouldn't happen. I, it should be –
2: well, and it won't. I mean, honestly, the, 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 uh, listen. We saw this with the flash world, you know. The, the, I think you can see uh, 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 this. This is going to be a little bit of uh, opinion here, but Glenn's opinion. I think we can take a look at what's happening today with NVMe, and and compare that against our initial response with flash, and and you can see the oh, lesson yeah. that was learned because we had the same situation when SSDs first hit the market and and, and NAND first hit the market. It was too expensive to use as a primary storage media, but man, did it have a benefit as a read acceleration tier, right? And 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 there is an absolute fact that we stayed on the read acceleration tier philosophy just a little bit too long, and we should have flipped to primary data storage sooner. But but that core belief in in aligning cost with with technology and capability has always been validated. You know, you you just. There will be these little sparks where where someone can market their way ahead temporarily. But if the technology and the yes. economics are, aren't are sound, long-term, they don't hold that lead. Long-term, it comes back to you.
1: And from there, I'd like to circle around to something that – another one of those boring things that comes up. So we when everyone is getting – we see vendors that temporarily, as you say, get the ability to market themselves ahead of the competition – but ultimately, you have to back it up. You have to back it up with real value and real products and real features and a lot of other things. And this is another thing where I've, I've sometimes wondered if if NetApp is not emphasizing what we should be. And this is snapshots. I mean, think about what we've got here. We really were the first to do snapshots at, in the way that we do. Yes, you could do a BCV on an EMC array, but that's like a uh, snapshot, that doesn't count. And I, I bought my first NetApp in 1995. I think it maxed out at eight snapshots. And I remember when I, I was so excited when I got that code upgrade and I could do 16 snapshots. And the whole reason that I'm working here now is because I kept on buying NetApp stuff, doing lots of different things with it. And it really all came down to snapshots. I mean, think about that. I don't need a backup system. The storage system is the backup system. And then Snap Mirror at the time was revolutionary because this is a bonehead simple way of replicating data from point A to point B where I don't have to phone the EMC guy to come in and spend $50,000 rebuilding the BIN file. And it's the little things that really count. And if anything, I would think these are going to count even more because there's even more things to manage and the data sets are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Why isn't this the most important thing for our database customers? We're talking about databases, the critical data yeah. that makes the business work. Why, I know, I know everyone wants to talk about NVMe and cloud first, but what about the backups? <laughs> what about the restores? These are critical things too that we do unbelievably well. And, and you can't really market that because it's not, it's not fashionable enough. Yet it is so incredibly important. I think
2: I, I guess my, my my personal experience with that, more around SQL Server than anything else, uh, admittedly, is is just that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, when, when we're capable to to sit down and and have that whole stack conversation, you know, that that encompasses the complete data lifecycle, and and be able to to have that more adult, higher level conversation about an architecture, you're right. It's black and white. You know, here's here's a solution. I've got your performance needs. I've got your durability needs. I have your maintenance needs. I can help you in your data life cycle. I can help you in in data 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 mass uh, data gravity issues. Like the the amount of of reasons that it's better to align your data protection, uh, primary data protection. I, 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 we can argue about whether or not it's a backup. That's that stupid old argument that that's a waste of time you 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 at this point you think what you think and and the listener knows what their opinion on this is but the there there's the raw economics of it and the capabilities and i've always been way more interested in the capability side just you know give me any system you want you can't restore faster than snapper store you just can't like yep. when the application is down and now I'm being measured in minutes of response, right? Sites down, services down. We're in a hard outage. Like, the, those are the moments where the opportunity cost to to be able to do the snap restore versus be, be staring down the barrel at a 16-hour streaming restore operation. Like, those are two completely different realities.
1: Well. The largest single database that um, has ever been seen on NetApp Storage, one database, is 996 terabytes. Terabytes.
0: I think I know which one that is.
1: I was on the the part of the team that did the original architecture there, and you you should have seen the the grins that we were desperately trying to hide. So the customer just sat in front of us and explained this very specific requirement of how they – the size of the database, the layout, the problems they were having, the need for a clone, and we're just thinking, we got this in the bag. This is going to be the single easiest sale that we've ever had because, I mean, literally no one else can do this. Yeah, They're, You just can't. And you'd think that in these days where everyone is getting more focused on the outcomes and improving business processes, um, it's nice to see the term DevOps becoming such a popular thing now. It's, it's, it's gone from useful, useful to fashionable now. You'd think these are the people that would be caring about Snapshot, Snap, Restore, flex clone, And this would be an incredibly valuable thing, but somehow it's just – it's somehow not sexy enough.
2: Shiny objects.
1: Well, nah, there, there's some
2: of that. I think it's more a, a victim of the, the segmentation that, that typical, like, larger shops typically go through. You know, having a, a guy who's in charge of your, your infrastructure and a different team that owns the database instance and on top of it and a different team that does the storage and a different team that owns the data protection for that storage. And here we are trying to sit down and, and, and have a conversation <laughs> about a single stack that addresses all four of those teams. You almost need a DevOps shop to, to, to have that conversation. It's, it's, it's true. It's, it's, it's been one of those learning curves. I, th- I think our technology, in a lot of ways, has been well in advance of, of the operating practices of the industry. And it's just a matter of, like, yeah, we, we solved this problem well before the industry actually knew how to implement it. And now it's been solved for so long that, that I think people are actually looking for new answers, even though the old one's still the better one.
1: Maybe we you just rename it? Just stop calling them Snap Restore and now call it... Snap Mirror Anywhere. Know. Data Fabric. <laughs> yes. Sure.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you also think about the uh, the security aspects of, you know, circling back to that. The snapshot piece plays into that as well. I mean, you're looking at databases that get locked out from ransomware, and, you know, snapshots can restore you back to the point in time before that happened. So, you know, it plays into the security standpoint as well.
2: Yeah, that, the,
1: know, I was the, surprised to see that we had to write a TR on – this is another example of um, – And and this is a fun part of my job. I admit that I enjoy this. I find it puzzling, but I do enjoy the marketing aspect. Where from a technical point of view, all right, ransomware has struck. It's encrypted a bunch of files. Except snapshots are immune from that sort of thing. To me, that I mean, duh. (laughs) That's of course, of course, snapshots are immune from ransomware. But that's not the marketing answer. Um, The marketing answer. We need to actually have the solution for ransomware, exact same technology, but um, you have to phrase it in the right way for people to, to see the value that you can provide.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think the ransomware example is, is probably one of the most crystal clear for this. It's, it's one of those where yeah. the second you say it, you go, well, of course, but, but you're right, unless you say it out loud— you know, are they thinking about that? Probably not. They're probably off talking to some startup, getting ready to buy some box which promises to be able to solve the problem, even though it won't, because it's a people problem. And it doesn't have snapshots. <laughs> yeah, yep.
1: yeah. I mean, so I in, Flash it, was the same thing for me. I mean, yeah. back back in the day, before we had this notion of an AFF. Sure, if your business needs warrant it, we'll sell you a system with all SSD drives. And hey, why is that special? But then along comes. A certain competitor that decides to just own the term flash and now all of a sudden what should have been obvious if you need an all-flash system just go buy an all-flash system but now all of a sudden we need to have all flash in all capitals in order for it to have that market appeal
0: well, I mean, and it's not just that. I mean, we also did some optimizations, right? We realized it was solving some problems that we had with our systems with spinning drives,
2: right? Yeah, but to Jeffrey's point, like, there, there's a potential past that where we make those optimizations, but without, like, the, like, the need, that, the requirement for the separate operating system is because the market self-declared that they wanted it. Right. The market self-declared. We want you to treat this as separate. We want a separate product. We want to buy it separately. Stop trying to give us one thing that can do both.
0: Well, I mean, aside from it being, you know, and sounding silly, it it drove innovation is what it did. I mean, it it made us look at that and say, okay, so you want that. Um, Here it is. And here and it's way better than what we had before. Agreed.
1: And I don't want to discount the optimizations we've made. Um, Every time there's another um, Oracle benchmark on another version of aff i see the differences and for the last few iterations they actually used the same configuration to do the tests so we could actually see the difference between 831 and so 83 and 831 and it that alone was a big difference so simple software upgrade because you're getting these all flash enhancements really did deliver a huge amount of value but again that, too, is sort of obvious to me. I mean, we, there was a point where if you wanted an all-Flash-Faz system, you could buy one with all SSDs. And, of course, we're going to make optimizations to make that work faster. We're a storage vendor. We're always looking to make optimizations. Um, but that, it, I just it took me a while to see that the market, as you said, it's self-declared, saying, no, no, we want only Flash. Don't even t- talk to us about anything else. Um, It's not that the market saw this as a wholly different product, and we have to go along with that if we're going to be successful in the market. And the numbers have proven what what happens when you you brand it right. But the, the fundamental technology has been there for long before we had AFF. Again, not that it isn't a whole lot better. It is a whole lot better. But the, the basics, especially from a database point of view, where it's not about a bazillion IOPS, it's just about really good latency. You want really good latency? Use all SSDs. There, done
0: and also to that point, I mean, you know, circling back to the NVMe discussion, we have that too. You know, we just don't make a huge deal about it. But it's in there. It's in there as, you know, flash cache, right? On-board on, yeah. on flash cache, NVMe-attached flash cache.
2: We, we've already solved this problem. We know the right Done. way to introduce a, a faster, you know, storage <laughs> yep. media tier into a storage controller.
0: Yeah, we're not going to re-architect our entire system just to yeah. plug in the uh, NVMe-attached stuff. We can do it already. It's, it's, it's you know, retrofittable.
1: And for those of us that understand a lot of the, on, the internals of OnTap and what the structure is, we we can see what we're doing, and how a lot of the things we're doing actually are very elegant, and we can see the what the futures are for NVMe and other technologies. But that's way too long of a technical discussion to have with a customer.
2: I don't. I, I don't think we need to. I think we can. I think very quickly we're 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 getting to a position where we can just point at results, right? You know, data on tap 8.0 came out five years ago, right? Single protocol, NFS, cluster data on tap, out the door. And, and in five years, we've added the entire suite of protocols, completely backported all of the feature gaps that that, that, that existed in the old legacy product, uh, and have now iterated on the actual storage stack to the point where it is the most scalable performance storage operating system in market and and that hard work that we put in around you know things like parallelization and multi-core and, and being able to just buy a box with 40 cores and have an operating system that can easily use all of them right you know that that just that work is paying itself out and and the sound engineering and the sound architecture is being proved as we go forward it's, it's everyone else that's scrambling because they're, they're getting to the the, the limits of the, their technical debt, and 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 they're having to actually pay down that debt. That was the work that we were doing through the all-flash hype.
1: Yep, and at, and at the end of the day, if if all you've got is better marketing than somebody else, at least for the moment, that you aren't you aren't paying your dues. Yeah, you aren't. You you need to have be something more than just marketing.
2: I mean, I'm still waiting for someone else to step up and submit an SPC-1. I mean, how many do we have to do unanswered before someone else is willing to put their money where their mouth is?
0: That was a mic drop, I
2: guess. I'm just saying. (laughs) Everyone carries on about this stuff. We've we've been consistent and open and honest. Here's what the product can do. We continue to work on it. It's going to be better next month, and we just keep doing that, and it keeps getting better.
1: From a database point of view, it's already so astonishingly faster than pretty much what anyone needs. And this is... What? I guess this leads to another. It's some of this leads to some of the more interesting aspects of my job. Because all flash is so fast, I'm having to deal with problems that I've never seen before. Where we had not that long ago, we had a major banking customer. Where because they had all flash and the latencies were so low, the databases were pumping more I/O than they ever had before. And we had this weird contention issue because they had violated a certain slot placement rule on a heavy-duty AIX server. Without all-flash, you won't see that. And there's a million other little configuration settings where without all-flash, you will never run into those barriers. So I'm getting to learn about a lot of things that I've never had to learn about before.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like putting a uh, bigger carburetor on a, on a on an engine there right Are all the other components ready for the stress you can you can inject that extra power but will everything else be able to handle it or are you just introducing a failure point marketing spin flashes
0: your I, stress tester there you go
1: what i really picture. need to do is um i need to go go to oracle school again and learn how to tune sql queries because more often than not you drop an AFF system in and I mean, even if they were a quarter of the performance of what they are the storage is the least of your concerns. I'd say on average on an AFF system, storage weight events are about 5% of the total weight events, meaning if you sold somebody the new AFF 9,000 systems with the holographic storage crystals and all that, the best you could hope for is zero milliseconds of latency and their database would get 5% faster. And the only way they're going to get faster is change the, the query logic yeah. because they just flat out can't make use of the whole of the capabilities of the storage system. And unfortunately, I don't know how to do that, but I think I'm going to have to learn.
2: Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Right. In the fullness of time, either we'll continue to figure out ways to just build faster hardware to, to make the old stuff run fast enough. Or at some point it'll pivot and we'll, we'll stop worrying about the hardware and the operating systems and we'll start to worry more about the apps. I think I think I think you just basically stated the transition that we're all living as an industry right now.
1: Yeah, we've with what we've done, and especially in the database market, what we've given the market with these all-flash systems, is way more than they are likely to need for the next. Oh, I'd guess eighteen months. Give it eighteen months two years or so, people are going to start coming up with business requirements and applications and databases that will actually be able to pull 500,000 sub-millisecond IOPS out of yep. the database. That's when they're going to come back to us and say, yes, I would like the, um, the new ONTAP model with the NVMe fabric interfaces and the 3D cross-point drives.
0: I keep thinking about the, uh, the Bruce Lee thing where he's like motioning for the guy to come on like that's just our storage like same come on applications bring it
2: come on bring it <laughs> a little bit a little bit i i you know i'm a broken record at this point but but i keep saying i want to go back to the old and campaign i thought that was the best like marketing thing ever Oh yeah you know just you you want performance and features and scalability and a reliable ecosystem like what do you want man we got it we're good
1: the number one um advice that i gave to account teams um I do these little mini sales training things, and sometimes when I'm doing an EBC session, I'll prep the account teams, and I'll say, here's what you got to do when a customer says database. Shut up about NetApp. I do not want anyone to say snapshot or FAS or AFF or anything for at least 45 minutes. We just have to ask the customer, what do you want to do? And if they try to talk about technology, avoid it dodge the question. We want to know as much detail about exactly what they want to accomplish and what they want to do and just question after question after question. Then you come back and you hit them with the perfect solution for exactly what they asked for. They will guide you and tell you what it is that you should be talking to them about. And then when they get their first exposure to what NetApp can do, you've precisely targeted their needs. It's a way better way to do things.
0: Time saver too, really. I mean, you're not, and it doesn't feel like a sales pitch. It feels more like you're listening to what I have to say.
2: It's collaboration, man. You're sitting down with a customer, and you're helping them solve a problem. It's what it's it's why we all are in this business. It's what everyone who does this for a living. It's it's the thing that got them here. I'm in the business for the bagels. Well, there's that too.
1: Now, that's especially critical to do this sort of thing with a database customer because of the complete suite that we've got. If you look across the whole portfolio. I would bet ten percent of it is specifically relevant to a given database customer' situation. So if you just launch right into a, a discussion about Flex clones, you've got a one in ten chance that they actually care. If you take the time to learn about what the requirements are, then you'll you'll avoid boring them with something that they don't need to know. And you still have to ask a ton of questions because you'll uncover problems that they didn't know they had. But you've got to go through that information gathering phase first.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Jeff Steiner. Uh, if you want to reach Jeff Steiner, you can find him at Tweet of Steiner or his blog, which is words.ofsteiner.com. And I'm guessing because he's invented this NVME attached tape, he's going to eventually snatch up tape.ofsteiner.com. Um, that's marketing for you, Jeff, if you want to use that. Feel free. I only take a little bit of commission for that idea. Anyway, finder's fee. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or via techontetpodcast.com. If you like the to show today, leave us a review on behalf of the entire Tech Ontet Tech podcast team and Mr. Database Jeffrey Steiner.
2: Thanks for listening. So, what do you think, Justin? Are we going to get snow this year at all? No. Oh,
0: well, I- maybe around the next. The next turnaround.
2: I mean yeah. Oh, yeah. we didn't even get a winter.
0: we had a little bit of snow and then we had a giant long spring. I, I blame the groundhog. It has been spring
2: for the like since January. Poxy Tawny least. Phil has failed us. Well. Is it
0: just me that's getting off on this?
2: Oh yeah. I can't say that I blame him. I mean if I was forced to just, you know, live in a cage and come out of the hole once a year, too.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a
2: horrible, horrible uh, existence there. Yeah. Going out on a high note. Yes.